hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chulu. Whoa, was it the what project. Do, where do you think okay, you are? Should we rewind that? No, let's roll into a Chulubinati. That's a reality show. We no, find no. the fourth host of Chulubinati. And we never find anyone because we need to stretch it for 10 seasons. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah, right, it's like exactly. the Curse of Oak Islands TV show. <laughs> never seen yeah. it. Never even heard of it. Don't even it's, know what that it's is. It's like all 26 seasons of The Search for Bigfoot. Yeah, you figured they would find him one of those. You'd seasons. see it. You'd Super see it in the news, right? Like Bigfoot is is a stealth. Like he's stealthy. Like he is a stealthy dude. By the way, if no, you want to just putting this out there, uh, if you if you're like me and you love, uh, just you know skepticism. Guess what? What did I just say? <laughs> it's a hard day it's for everybody, everybody today. Like, apparently, like project episode. skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> August no breaks has an amazing video where he goes out to hunt Bigfoot with a bunch of Bigfoot hunters and it is hilarious. Does so he just, shoot one? Does he bag himself one? Does he bag himself it one? Is them, you know what? I'm just going to say go watch the video. It's great. That dude What is it called is, again? Say that again. It's this guy who who like all gas, no breaks is the name all of the YouTube gas, channel. No All right. That and sounds he, great. I want to see it. It's kind of like imagine like a young kid but doing the things Daily Show correspondents do. Where they like go and interview people at events. And so he goes to like, you know, drug raves and he goes to like Trump rallies and he goes to like, oh, you know, like UFO conventions yeah, great. and the porn star conventions. And he just will like Sick. ask people questions and it is mwah, just perfect. <laughs> just perfect stuff. You, you reminded me of something and I'm going to say it real quick. I don't want to make promises that won't necessarily happen. However, um, I did a like a podcast for my friend uh, Dan Giesling a few weeks back. At the end of the podcast, we were talking about Chaluminati basically the whole time. And he said he was going to put me in touch with somebody who right now is wrapping up a show about hunting Bigfoot. And then after he's done with that, that uh, I would love to have him on as like an, 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 an uh, interview the guy for like an episode. Like a post? So I'm not saying like it's a post? definitely going to happen, but it's in there. It's out there. It might happen. Debrief the foot hunter. <laughs> Debrief the foot hunter. I love it. Welcome, by the way, everybody, to Chaluminati Podcast, episode 79. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my two co-hosts, Jesse Cox and Yo. Alex Fasciane. Hi. Hi, man. I know I usually just hawk it to you for Patreon, and I, I normally would, but I would like to take it just for a moment Go and just say it. a big, huge thank you. So we actually updated our $50 tier, our biggest tier, uh, and what uh, what you get now with that tier on top Wait, of everything whoa, whoa, else. That's the, our biggest tier. There isn't the Jesse Cox ten thousand dollars. Biggest I feasible tier. tier. There is a ten thousand dollar tier. All right. Surprisingly, has, nobody has taken it up yet. How many slots are there for ten thousand? As many as people want. I go in fast. Folks. Yeah, yeah, they go quick. Yeah, I'll, listen, yeah. one, two, you maybe three. Ten thousand dollars for that one month. I'll believe it's great. It'll be like really, you don't really say. Good. See, tell me more. No, how about, how about wow. for ten thousand dollars? That's true. You get to choose what Jesse believes for a month. For oh ten grand, God. you can don't choose do that what to he me. I'll in. be like, let me tell you about the flat Earth. I, will, <laughs> you I, I, I myself will hate myself. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that, <laughs> that to me. Amazing. I'm gonna make him do two hours on the. I'll I'll pay it just to make him do two hours on the turtle that we all are on the back of. On <laughs> the back of in space. The yeah, turtle dude, that's I love on it. I love the it. elephants in the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the <laughs> elephants that whatever that are on the turtle that are on the disc world. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, the fifty dollar tier, the one that other people are actually part of, now gets on top of the ad free episodes and minisodes and digital posters and stuff. Every T-shirt that we release on the Yeti, you get. So whenever Damn. we release a T-shirt on there, you're going to get a code sent to you on Patreon. You get uh, that'll get you hook you up with the T-shirt. Uh, this month, you're getting the Chupacabra T-shirt, the one that just launched. Everybody, the fifty dollar tier gets that. Um, and a bunch of people jumped up there. So huge thank you for the support on Patreon. No more um, logging in. Only to find that it's already gone. Yep. Rest easy, patrons. <laughs> Jesse, yeah, Alex, take it from here, man. If there's more you'd like to add, this is what your I mean, home turf. Easy, I mean, what else is there to say besides Not head much. on down to patreon.com slash pod, where all your dreams can literally come true. All you, The time. most you can pay is $50. And if you do, everything you've ever wanted regarding the Chiluminati podcast <laughs> will come true. It's true. Yeah. And if you pay $10,000, you make Jesse's dreams come true real. for a month. Let me be real. This is your moment, like weird <laughs> Saudi prince who wants to have your 15 minutes in the of sun. Control. I look, I will give you if you in, in addition to Jesse believing whatever you say for one month, I will give you two minutes of airtime on every episode for that whole month. 
What? That's a fair deal. Two That's a minutes fair deal. of whatever you want to say. You could be literally. Literally at the beginning of this episode where we're going to talk about one of the most horrific things that's ever occurred here on planet Earth. So are we ready for the episode, boys? Is that it for I our shilling? I don't know. Listen, I don't like usually that. reach out to one person, but if if that one person is real. <laughs> you will do it every single time. Yeah. Come on down. We'll be friends for a month. All right. No, I don't want to invite ruin that danger. My day, man. Never mind. That's no problem. I'm ready to ruin everybody's mood. We've been talking about it for a long time. Boys, it's finally time to start part one of however many parts this is of MK Ultra. Well, how many parts do you really think it is? I honestly think we're looking at a minimum of four. I think we <laughs> might hit five, potentially Guys, six. I hope not. If it gets up to five, six, there will likely be a, like a one episode break somewhere in the two, three mark to break up the atmosphere a little bit. Because it starts bad and just gets worse. And I'm it never just, stops getting I'm going to find a bunch of internet mysteries so Mathis doesn't lose his mind is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's all right. Dude, I've already <laughs> read the books. I've already lost my mind. I just have to relive it now as I make scripts. So Project MK Ultra is one of the darkest, most shameful and gruesome points within human history. While it's true that MK Ultra was a US-focused project, like a lot of other horrendous things in the world, MK Ultra was not an overnight decision. And its roots date back decades before the project, project ever saw the light of day. Involving a chain of events that all involve human experimentation, the deaths of tens of thousands in the process, all leading up to the fateful launch of MKUltra in 1953. At its core, the plan behind MKUltra was to create a breakthrough within psychological warfare, true mind control. And for a decade from 1953 to 1963, under heavy secrecy, through the means of forced drugging, psychiatry, and straight out-and-out -out torture, that was what the U.S. attempted to do. Now, before we full di uh, fully dive in, I want to shout out our two main sources for this particular episode on top of a myriad of internet sources. Uh, Poisoner-in-Chief, Sidney God uh, Gottlieb, and the, uh, and the CIA Search for Mind Control by author Stephen Kinzer. And the second book, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, the CIA and Mind Control, the Secret History of Behavioral Sciences by Dr. John D. Marks. And of course, a huge shout out to De Deanna for coming through the muck with me and just going through all of this and uh, helping me create this series of episodes because, ooh, it wasn't fun for uh, parts of that. But uh, thank like God real we life, alone. actual stakes, mad scientists. It's yes. Like so crazy. Well, yeah. Well, welcome to the MK Ultra series, everybody. That's what this is. MK Ultra, in my belief, is one of the prime reasons that modern conspiracy still thrives as heavily as it does today. When asked for proof that projects can be kept under wraps for so long and terrible things can happen for years without a single public person really knowing or leaking it, MKUltra is one of the examples people tend to point to. And it's true. This project was tightly under wraps for a decade plus. And even, I would argue, after the uh, court hearings, most people didn't pay too much attention to it thereafter. It is one of the conspiracy theories that ended up being fact. And of course, the matter of our country wanting to bury this as deeply as possible, because when you start to truly dig, you realize how evil the U.S. was during the beginnings of it all and likely still never stopped being such. Yeah, like if, if you're the type of person that Googled us to find us to see if we existed as a show, you probably already know about this. But I feel like yeah. the average person might not. This is for me, I think, like as a younger, like back in my early 20s or whenever I really learned about this for the first time was one of those moments was like, oh, oh, the U.S. isn't the greatest country in the world. I got you. <laughs> like, it was just like one of those. Yeah. <laughs> just, no, it turns one of those out wake up moments. New Zealand. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's Norway. Yeah. Uh, but we aren't starting there. We're not starting in 1953 with the launch of Project uh, MKUltra. Instead, we're going back nearly two decades. MKUltra, in a sense, begins in Japan with a man by the name of Shiro Ishii, when the U.S. allowed him to surrender on August 15th in 1945 in return for all the information that Shiro Ishii attained during his experiments at a place called Unit 731 during the Second World War. The two of you know what Unit 731 is? I imagine Jesse probably does. No, you is don't. That don't know what that is they exposed the iguana to radiation and then it got real big no. okay so we're going to teach you some things Unit 731 <laughs> which was during the second world war he would be saved from being hung and protected from the soviets so long as he was loyal to the u.s from that point on and of course he accepted but let's talk a little bit about who he was and what unit 731 was born in 1892 shiro ishii was the son of a local landowner and sake maker he'd grow up to study medicine at kyoto imperial university 
Very shortly after his graduation in 1921, Japan commissioned Ishii into the Imperial Japanese Army with the rank of Army Surgeon Second Class. But it wouldn't be until 1922, after impressing his supervisors at the First Army Hospital and being recommended for postgraduate medical training and going back to Kyoto Imperial Hospital, that his love for microbiology truly began. Here, Ishii would, att- would often grow bacteria within petri dishes and call them his little pets. This pastime would become the thing that really defined the rest of his life. Because after years of faithful service to the Japanese army, including two years of touring medical facilities in the West, including the United States, and heavily advocating the Japanese government to res- uh, for research into biological warfare in 1927, Ishii would get that wish, and then some. In 1935, under the guise of a complex titled uh, the Epidemic and Water Purification Bureau, the construction of Unit 731 had been fully completed in a long, remote tract of land. And in 1936, Shirishi was given yet Unit 731, with express permission and intent to conduct experiments on human subjects to master techniques of germ warfare. So that was what Unit 731 ended up being. It's a place where human experimentation happened. For six years, between 1930s, uh, people that were shipped in from all over. Uh, to, this is, remember, this is all happening during World War II. And this so, was in Japan? Uh, no, it was outside Japan in a, in, the country, in a countryside part of China. They actually, Japan was doing it, but they were doing it in another country. So this would be, they were probably doing it on the Chinese then. I would imagine so. Yeah, I would imagine so. Not a detail I particularly dug for. Um, Yeah, uh, Japan was doing a lot of like inland stuff with China for sure. That makes sense. Uh, Like I said, for six years, they did this between 1936 and 1942, where somewhere between 3,000 and 12,000 people met their excruciating ends. Inhumanly referred to. 12,000? Between 3,000 and 12,000. We don't have a definitive number. We don't know. These people who died were inhumanly referred to as nothing more than, quote, logs to those who ended up delivering them to Unit 731 from wherever they were taken. A warning now for those who might be a little sensitive to gruesome details, because the experiments within seven un- Unit 731 were things ripped straight out of a nightmare, including exposure to poison gases to then remove the lungs and observe them afterward. Long-term exposure to electricity to determine what voltage would cause death. Hanging people upside down to observe, to observe the process of natural choking. Locked in high-pressure chambers until eyes were popped from their sockets. Spun relentlessly in centrifuges. Infected with anthrax, syphilis, plague, cholera, and more. Infant vivisection. Bound to stakes as flamethrowers were tested on them. What? Exposure to freezing temperatures to observe the effects of hypothermia. Injecting air into people to provoke embolisms injections of animal blood to observe reactions, living dissections, living amputations to observe death by bleeding and gangrene, groups of men, women, and children exposed to anthrax shrapnel bombs to observe time until death, which never ended up being more than a week, and finally, forced pregnancy and abortions. Oh my God. a little list of things that they did at Unit 731 for six fucking years. So uh, just for clarification's sake, just for the sake of like everyone who's like, holy crap, um, Japan during this time period, like many, uh, I'm going to say just in general, and when you qualify yourself as an empire or imperialist, most of the times that means you view other people as less than you. So, yes. you know, Europe had some imperialist tendencies. America had imperialist tendencies. The things America did to natives and people of, you know, island countries and things were not great. Um, no, not at all. Even, you know, even after. But anyway, during this time, Japan uh, was an imperialist nation and they were trying to expand. And they, uh, you know, just like many other imperialist nations, see themselves as above others. And China, in this case, was, you know, the Chinese, they were viewed as lesser than by the Japanese at the time. Um, I'm not sure what it was actually called, but the uh, the invasion of China was literally like a crusade. It was mm. crusade. They had like um, it was like the under one roof policy or something. I'm not sure what the official name was, but the idea was like 
what if all of Asia came under our control was the vibe. And yeah. so they pretty much were, you know, if it's the same thing with Germany, if the, if you don't view certain people as being human, you can do all sorts of messed up stuff to them. And I mean, that's isn't the another same example that is manifest destiny for the United States. When we yeah. decided that we deserved all of the land, that was our, that was our goal or what have you. People yeah, be absolutely. Doing this. People yeah, be doing it's been this done forever. All the time. Yeah. 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 And, and it um, continues. That is that is absolutely one of the big things here. So when you hear them be like, they did this horrible thing and this horrible thing, you're like, how could anyone do that at this time period from like 1937 to 1945 ish? Yeah. Um, Japan was like, we it's all right to do this because we're better than them. And that's yeah, pretty we, much what the vibe was. We're destined to be better than exactly. Yeah. And for six years, they got they conducted, quote unquote, research. And with this research, technicians at Unit 731 ended up creating various undercover biological weapons like poisoned chocolate and gum, hairpins and fountain pens rigged with toxin needles. Poisoned well chocolate and, and gum? Yeah. What yeah. sure were they making? Oh, and, oh, a ton. They were making a lot of stuff. What the fuck happened to all the poison gum, dude? What oh, did they- where there's my man's you hold on to whatever happened to because you're going to be asking that more than once in this entire episode. I want to know, know the body count for chocolate and gum. Right? What is what, I wonder? And this is like, again, history teacher Jesse. I wonder. So when Japan invaded China. They could take the big cities because that was easy, right? But yep. the countryside was so wide that it was impossible for the Japanese forces because Japan is infinitely smaller than China, right? And so it's impossible for all the forces of Japan to take over all of China. So the countryside was kind of like, there's nothing we can do about that. We're just, there's going to be roving bands of like rebels. I wonder if it was like, make the food poison and then we just kill them. Like, hold, hold on to that because like, like on top oh, of the, shit, that's on top up, of the poison that's like so on top of the up. poisoned food but you might be onto something there because like i said they had hairpins and fountain pens rigged with toxin needles but on top of that they had an industrial scale laboratories that existed to breed plague infested fleas while producing large amounts of anthrax that were placed in bomb cases Damn, this is how that, mathis plays 4x games this is how, <laughs> yeah, fuck all of you uh, i mean but that's like that's one of those like really messed up war things is oh, dude it's like nuts. you know i mean look we gave uh native american smallpox blankets because we were like that'll that'll do the trick so yeah. unbelievable like unbelievable <laughs> you know it's nuts uh this place was enormous and you can see pictures of it online actually if you look it up but even with its enormous size and industrial scale human, human experimentation, it was near impossible to prove that Unit 731 existed while it operated. As the war began obviously coming to an end, Ishii, had, uh, who had run the place since its inception, ordered the execution of every remaining prisoner while distributing cyanide pills to his soldiers and scientists with the express order to take their secrets to their grave should they be captured. After orders were given and prisoners executed, the final move from Ishii was the order to destroy the entire complex with explosives. Uh, fun fact, towards the end of the war, Ishii was actually developing a plan to spread the plague fleas along the population of the U.S. West Coast, known as Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night. That was what he was working on when he blew the place up. Jesus Damn. fucking Christ. Yeah, good times. But at the least war, that know, didn't happen. Holy yeah, God. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, that would have been awful. But obviously the war came to an end and Ishii ended up fleeing back to his hometown to live with his daughter. But it wouldn't be long before he was found by the counterintelligence corps and, and was arrested and brought to Tokyo where he would be interviewed with U.S. scientists for four weeks. After a rigorous interview process, the U.S. approached Ishii with an ultimatum. The Americans, uh, what he, give the Americans what he knew and prove to be an asset to the country worth protecting or stay silent and see what happens when the Soviets get their hands on them. Damn, man, that's what a crazy time period to to just not only be alive, but just to be in the military. The idea that World War Two ends with the, into with the one. Americans and Soviets united against Germany and, and, you know, Japan. And then immediately at the moment it ends being like, and now we're in another war. Yeah, and immediately exactly. we're enemies. So it, that time period, like, it's fucked up right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's really scary, like, every day right now. I'm not, like, fucking around. But, like, the mentality that they ha that people had just, like, not even 100 years ago, like, 80 years ago 
Yeah. It's like fucking my, like it's mind blowing. It's like you, so you th- brutal. It's insane. You actually do have, like keep in mind as we go through this, this sounds like ancient history. This was 80 fucking years ago. This was not long ago at yeah. all. So there's color like, pictures is, of this time. Yeah, so people, while this was people in their seventies were born in the forties. So just yeah, like, they were you born know, when this was happening, it's nuts. Um, so while obviously this was worth something, Ishi, well, this is something that Ishi desired to be to hand it all over and be an asset worth protecting. He also wasn't stupid. The U.S. wanted that information and even risking it, handing it over to the Soviets wasn't something they were likely to do. So Ishii would accept with some additions to the deal. He would be given documentary uh, documentary immunity for himself. But in addition, his superiors and his subordinates involved in Unit 731 would also be given immunity. How many people are we talking Oh, I don't have an exact number, but uh, enough to run a complex of that size. I mean, yeah, this um, would be like NASA when NASA was yeah. like, give us all your Germans. You're like, yep. what? Do you, imagine, exactly. do you imagine there was like a factory of like 2000 scientists and soldiers like torturing people all the time? Or are we talking like uh, 400 the, people? Or talking- I would put it. I, my guess somewhere between 500 and 1000, maybe. That's so if they crazy. Were, if they were going through, you know, 10, like anywhere between three and 12,000 people, how, whoever knows how many. I don't know. I don't know. But that deal was put forward by Ishii, and with a simple stroke of a pen from General MacArthur, the human monster that was Shiro Ishii and every single person that worked around him and participated or knew about or were involved in Unit 731 were all completely immune from every human war crime they had just committed. It doesn't Bam. even seem real. Like, it's so awful that it's like, it's oh. it like my mind like goes to comic book territory, like how crazy it is. But that's, we did the, the same thing on the East Coast, right? You know, well, the idea of like, all the yeah, Germans that were doing terrible shit, like we had to get them before the Russians got them. Like, <laughs> no, absolutely. You're all, you're all skipping ahead in my episode. It's <laughs> just all, crazy. That's this like, all is like, that's the thing. Like, this is where the seed of Project Ultra, MK Ultra was, in my mind, ultimately planted. This is where it all began. And this one action, setting them all immune, would set the standard for countless more moving forward. Ishii began by handing over countless documents, just giant boxes packed with data from their torture. I have personally hesitated to call it experimentation or anything like remotely scientific, but that's what they would that, that that's what they called. Who did it. he give this to uh, the U.S. government? So they, just, sweep, the US they government. just sweeped him up and just he just like yep. had it. Oh, just, just, he had it all stored up. He, he hadn't destroyed it yet. Um, they had details on how various toxins affected the human body how toxins could be spread as well as the dosage levels needed to most effectively take the life of an individual. And the American scientists were like, they were like, hell yes. Suffice to say the U S was pleased with this and found it all incredibly valuable, especially in terms of potential future warfare, as we tend to only think about the destruction of other people as a country. We can use uh, this for non-history people out there who are just, you know, uh, could care less about the history aspect of this. This is uh, necessary. Think about Captain America, the movies, the MCU, and the little nerdy scientist from the first Captain America movie Tucci? gets captured by Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> and in the second Captain America movie is like, spoilers, in a computer and shit. The time <laughs> between that moment... <laughs> and when he got captured, he was working for Americans and coming up with yep. all sorts of evil schemes. That's that kind of thing. It's that storyline. But that's all based but in on. Real life. It's all based but in on real this. life. That shit happened. Yeah. yeah. He just didn't get it. He was just old as fuck. He didn't get into a computer. He yeah. He wasn't was a like, computer at the end. He was but just he was an old terrible. piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah he was yeah, just yeah, an old yeah. piece of human shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he handed over like literally like countless documents over. But Ishii had even more. He then guided up the guided U.S. government officials up large mountains over the course of days and, and introduced them and showed them hidden away at various temples in Japan. <laughs> yes, he brought those he swore his newfound loyalty to to his other evidence. Ishii and those who had aided him in the destruction of human life had hidden away 15,000 microscope slides. What? In uh, the mountains and temples uh, throughout the country, with each one containing a sliver of human tissue from victims, kidneys, livers, spleens, as well as organs that had been collected from victims who had died from extreme temperature, anthrax, botulism, bubonic plague, cholera, dysentery, smallpox, typhoid, tuberculosis, gangrene, and syphilis. This is like some Dexter shit. This is like it fucking super insane. is. 
what's what's really messed up, and this is going to be like, if you haven't ever thought about this, uh, listener, just know this is this is the truth, and it's shocking and awful. Most of modern medicine in the seventies, eighties, and nineties comes from all the shit that all these terrible people did yep. and without them doing it's like sort of the the olden days of science back in the middle ages and into the renaissance when they were like what is this thing inside of your chest well let's cut in there and find out like that kind of thing <laughs> yep. that kind of messed up stuff but the more modern version where they were like what happens if we do this to the human body and all that information like all that like how does hypothermia work that's got some messed up dude somewhere froze a person yeah that's exactly it and like we're briefly covering this and we're going to briefly cover another project but them themselves are gateways to other enormous like secret things that happen in our country that we'll one day cover. But right now we have to stay focused on one with physical evidence to coincide with the documents of uh, documented effects now firmly in the hands of the U S this to them would prove to be invaluable, no longer needing to start from scratch. Their knowledge of biological warfare jumped with the stroke of a pen. And now they were a step ahead of all their perceived enemies. And let's be real has the U S ever been one to want to be excluded from being the best at anything. Now, they now had an entire cast of people who were extremely skilled at human torture and documenting it. And the U.S. ever so hungry for the best, the next best weapon would never want to. And we, we'd never as the U.S. want to waste good human resources. And so instead of bringing all of those scientists that we just gave immunity to to America, they were instead installed in laboratories and detention centers all across East Asia. You might be asking yourself, that's kind of weird. Why would the U.S. do that? You know, it really is confusing until you learn that testing on human subjects is illegal in the U.S. and at the time would be hard to do so. So instead, the U.S. employed these people installed in places with plenty of imprisoned humans at their fingertips to help America not only to conceive, but consequently continue conducting said experiments on human beings for us. It's like Guantanamo Labs. Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly correct. Yeah, they took them all and like, well, at least you know what you're doing. Continue, please. And that was it. And if you're thinking, if you were to think, well, at least the U.S. waited until they discovered this before they took an interest in it. Prepare yourself for even more disappointment because we're going to go now and rewind back to the next chess piece that all plays into MKUltra from 1945 back to 1942. Biological warfare was very clearly becoming a fever pitch worldwide as the war raged on. And a scientist named Ira Baldwin, among a dissenting group of his peers, assured the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, which at the time convened under Churchill and Roosevelt, that they could, in fact, create a hermetically sealed container to produce dangerous germs on an industrial scale. They were not aware that Japan had already created such a place with the added benefit of human torture in Unit 731. And after meeting, though, it seemed that his pitch had failed as they sent Ira Baldwin home and uh, he went back to being a regular scientist with evil goals instead of actually becoming an evil scientist. But the U.S. is full of surprises, and General W.C. Cabrick of the Chemical Services reached out to Baldwin and asked him to return to Washington for a visit. Baldwin, once again hopeful that they were going to ask that they were asking him to return, took a leave of absence from his job and quickly returned to Washington, where he was offered to begin the construction of such a site. The Metal here, Gear Program. <laughs> yes, the Metal Gear Program. And from here, the Hallelujah was created. Uh, And from here, the (laughs) next two and a half years, Baldwin served with the title Scientific Director of Biological Warfare Laboratories. But get this, he wasn't officially part of the government. He served the entire time, technically, as a civilian. After accepting the gig, the first step was to figure out where it was going to be built. Wanting to keep it convenient, they decided on Detrick Field, later renamed to Camp Detrick and known as Fort Detrick as, uh, as the place was being built. It was only 50 miles from Washington, somewhere in Maryland, not too far from Fredrickson, ensuring it nice and close for the army. And over the course of three months, it was built. Over $4 million was spent in 1942 and on March 9th, starting on March 9th, 1943, rather. In 2020 currency, that's a little over $63 million. It sounds like the government for sure. Yep. It sounds like Hellboy. It it sounds like the X-Men. It sounds fucking crazy. (laughs) What are you talking about? Sounds like the Weapon However, X program. Oh, dude. Yeah, no, it is. It's uh, this is why people I like I said I, in the beginning, I think this, this is 
This is one of the reasons people buy so easily into conspiracy Look, theories. I'm just going to put this out there. And one day, if I ever can truly find enough information on this, I want to do an episode. This is the United States government has always dabbled in crazy shit. My favorite oh, yeah. World War II story is Roosevelt was like, OK, I'm hearing that Hitler wants to find uh, like a bunch of ancient lost relics. We're going to need to make a team of relic hunters. And they're like, what? And he's like, if they do exist, we need a team out there. And so they made a team of people who their job was to go around and try to find like the Ark and like Don't, Henry, Henry it, Jones Jr. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Hell boy. It was, yes. It's the like it's a real thing that happened. Obviously, yeah. no one found nothing that we know of. Wolverine, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> that shit, they were like, well, we can't not do it. And this is what's happening now during this time period through the late 40s into the 50s. They're so like, well, if the Russians have mind control, we can't we not have, have mind control. That's exactly <laughs> what this shit is. It's crazy. It's really it really is the premise of nearly every move they make. It's Jesse's dead on on that. They should just um, get screenwriters to be like, that's stupid. No. <laughs> yeah, no, right? <laughs> that would never fly. No one would believe that. Nah, no one. Yeah, God. <laughs> However, the place wouldn't truly get to work until sometime in early 1944. We're under, uh, under claim that they, they were scared. We're under the claim that they were scared that the Nazis would launch a last ditch bio attack on Britain as they were losing. Churchill and Roosevelt decided to order from the, that place half a million anthrax spore bomblets. To fill such an order, Ira Baldwin was estimating they need literal tons of anthrax to accomplish it. And even after the Nazi surrender in 1945, that place was still producing that particular order. I'm almost no like I'm almost like thankful that nukes happened because it skipped like the horrific like bioweapon apocalypse phase of human history because nukes yes. are so much worse. <laughs> Baldwin was actually sent home in the middle of that order. The, the scientist feeling super accomplished for all the work that he'd help America do. Um, but before we get to that, the question I have is like, okay, where did, did they finish the order and where did all of them go? It's probably like someday they're going to like be digging in a churchyard somewhere and like some like weird bug is going to start crawling out and everybody's going to become <laughs> bug zombies. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, this place was had over 200 different projects running at any given time. Uh, none of them, as far as we are aware, were human experimentation. But a couple of the ones that they were working on was producing industrial quantities of anthrax spores, obviously breeding mosquitoes who were infected with yellow fever. What a fucking dangerous, stupid <laughs> ass fucking thing that is to do <laughs> to do in Maryland. What a stupid fucking. Can you imagine if like. Death mosquitoes just descended on Washington, D.C. and just the, the whole so government stupid. died because of yellow fever. It's some fucking shit. asshole decided to, like, make a fucking farm of death. This one, this next one is my favorite project. Uh, it was called the Pigeon Bomb. It was a bird whose feathers were coated in toxic spores. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, that's <laughs> most pigeons. Let's How not is that pretend. a fucking True. precise weapon? How is it a targeted at anyone? It's not. Okay, but but his, uh, one of my favorite anecdotes for this episode came from that because I was researching that specifically. I was like, I don't understand. Kill homeless I came across only. another project that was happening in 1944 called Project Pigeon. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a quick breakdown of Project Pigeon. One to three pigeons trained by operant conditioning to recognize a target were stationed in front of a screen. When they saw the target, they would peck at the screen with their beaks. As long as the target remained at the center of the screen, the screen would not move. But if the bomb began to go off track, the image would move towards the edge of the screen and the pigeons would follow the image pecking at it, which would move the screen on its pivots. A the sensor mission. would detect the movement and send signals to the control surfaces, which would steer the bomb in the direction that the screen had moved. Yeah, these pigeons are steering bombs, by the way. That's what this is. Um, as the bomb swung back towards the target, the pigeon would again follow the image, bringing the screen back to the centered position again. In that way, the pigeons would correct any deviations in the course and keep the bomb on its gliding this path. Is, this is this is like when they're like, all right, we're going to teach these dolphins how to stick landmines. Like, <laughs> yes, this yes. is like, I, you know what? I mean, you have to feel like as human beings, we would at some point been like, how do we if a dog can do this? How do we train other animals to do? It's ins it's like insane when you look there's at it in hindsight. But at the time, you have to imagine they're like, 
Well, if Rover can can catch this ball, surely this pigeon Dude, can deliver a about, bomb. It's so good. Something about it's, uh, animals being involved. It's like when it's like how do you how, like imagine it's like in a fantasy movie the humans they're getting pummeled by the orcs. The elves haven't helped the humans in three thousand years, and then it's like. People show up yeah. and then like bird bird weapons and they're yeah. like send the bird weapons the bird folk and the birds like steer bombs into the fucking goblins yeah. Yeah. like there's something crate there's something like like well you are right there's something crazy because the national defense research committee saw the idea to use pigeons and glide bombs as very eccentric and impractical but they still contributed $25,000 to the research. And again, that's in 1944 money. I just money. wanted freaking pigeons that could freaking <laughs> steer the Skin. bombs, okay? <laughs> Throw me a freaking uh, boot. Throw, yeah. <laughs> Throw me a freaking boot. Throw me a freaking spore, please. That could be a fucking plot point in that goddamn movie. <laughs> Throw me a fucking spore. I just want pigeons with spores on them. <laughs> Skinner, who was the one who created the project and had some success with the training, complained, quote, our problem was no one would take us seriously, end quote. The program was canceled yeah. on October 8th, 1944, yeah. because the military believed that further prosecution of the project would seriously delay others in the minds of the division. They, they had nukes to make. The report goes across the general's desk and it's like, it's bombs steered by pigeons. And he's like, Skinner? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think that, but Project Pigeon was then revived by the Navy in 1948 as Project Orkin. Yeah. But it was canceled in 1953 when the reliability of electronic guidance systems was proven. <laughs> uh, what's what's genuinely crazy? Just think about the time period. 1944. On one side of the country, scientists have gathered to split the atom. And on yep. the other side of the country, they're yep. like, all right, pigeons. We're <laughs> here to this I think bomb. the bird can fly the bomb. <laughs> Let's try again. Cooler name. I'm so glad I found that damn Cooler stupid name. project. Change the name. The, na- the problem was the name. Project Orkin. It's fine. But that it literally somehow lasted five years in that incarnation. How many pigeons died for nothing? Death. How many pigeons blew up with ordnance? <laughs> and who did they blow up? Can you imagine know, the humiliation of that? <laughs> oh my god. Like, uh, but imagine, but imagine like, if the project the fuck? Imagine if the project worked to the point where you use it today and you're dying from pigeon bombing. That's dynotopia. Not drone that's bombing, fucking dynotopia. Pigeon bombing. What's that's not real? That's dynotopia. That's, that's just like when today people are like these fly-sized uh, listening drones and I'm like time out. No one's yeah. no one's made a drone look like a fly. They can just if they want to hear you, they can point a fucking thing at you from like 8 miles away and hear your right. ass. Oh, to be That's a fly-sized like, listening drone on the, the wall Tommy of episodes. Yeah, like, in, like, in the 80s we had that technology. A satellite can literally just pinpoint you and look at you. People are like, "Well, that fly drone clearly landed." Like, get, what are you talking about? The yeah. fly drone? Yeah, it's, it's like get a dude here. with like two levers, and he's like flying it in like a, like a warehouse. I'm going in for the landing. I can see Pence's head. Me, but, just but, like pulling. But now I want to believe that at the same time a guy was like, "This satellite can get pinpoint accuracy and hear every cover." And there's another guy like, "I have created a fly drone." Oh, the exact same time. It's He's like, don't yeah. come crying to me in the singularity. Uh, that so then so Camp Detrick um, is half of the puzzle pieces now in play for what I believe to be the beginnings of MK Ultra. The next one is not as bad. Now all this was happening on the biological warfare front. There was still another discovery happening in the forties. I know all this seems bizarrely disjointed for a subject that doesn't start for another decade, but I promise all of this comes together. On April 16th, 1943, in a lab in Basel, Switzerland, Dr. Albert Hoffman discovered LSD-25 while he was experimenting with the ergot enzyme while trying to improve circulation in the blood. The result (laughs) in the experiments became what would later be known as a trip, not coined until the 70s, and LSD-25 would simply be known as LSD soon after. But the results baffled him. What was I'm LSD sure of, one through twenty four? I know. I don't oh know. Oh my man. god! What the hell is that? <laughs> um, but the results baffled him. Unsure of what to even do with his new discovery, he thought perhaps maybe it helped in the future in research of the uh, of the biochemical aspect uh, of a mental illness. But his own experiments were sporadic at best and totally inconclusive. He didn't really. So basically, he discovered it, and he didn't see it all that useful. He dabbled with it and just kind of shelved Thank it. Thank God it for wasn't Pink really Floyd, something. right? 
<laughs> yeah. Eventually, though, the winds of some weird chemical were caught in the U.S. in 1949 by L. Wilson Green, a chemical and radio, uh, radiological laboratories director. He heard of the discovery of this new chemical and was enraptured by it, gathering every ounce of information on the LSD discovery and producing a report on what else? The report was called, quote, psychochemical warfare, a new concept of war, which, of course, concluded with a strong urge that the U.S. begin systematically testing LSD, mescaline, and 60 other mind-altering compounds that might be weaponized against enemy populations. Simultaneously, some new supervillain Acid Man burst onto the scene, and no one knew his identity. (laughs) In one year after LSD's discovery, which was 1944, the final piece of the bizarre puzzle that is the origins of MKUltra was placed. As the war came to a close and it was clear as such, Roosevelt was then presented with a question. They'd have on their hands thousands of Nazis with information that could very feasibly quickly end the war at hand and potentially solidify the U.S. as a major dominant power for decades to come after the war ended. And so he was posited with, quote, should Nazi spies with information on the Soviet Union be given immunity from prosecution and permitted to enter the U.S.? This question was brought forward by William Donovan, director of the Office of Secret Services. It's important to note that Roosevelt, it's important to note, however, that Roosevelt declined and refused, saying, quote, the carrying out of any such guarantees would be difficult and probably be widely misunderstood by both in in this country and abroad. Then he died. (laughs) Then he died. Don't jump ahead of me yet, Jesse. All right. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Then he died. We may expect that the number of Germans who are anxious to save their skins and property will rapidly increase. Among them uh, may be some who should properly be tried for war crimes or at least arrested for active participation in Nazi activities. Even with the necessary controls you mentioned, I am not prepared to authorize the giving of guarantees. Roosevelt was ignored. Weeks after Roosevelt's death in 1945, Colonel Reinhard Gellin, a senior Nazi intelligence officer, surrendered to American forces and quickly made a deal with the OSS to turn over his spy network in exchange. He was given legal protection and a generous stipend for some reason. We gave him a bunch of money. Just like a one-time big-ass fee of money? Yep, a one-time generous uh, stipend. Uh, And with that, a precedent was set for turned officers. And soon after... One would be set for scientists uh, of the Nazi variety. This spurned on the creation of a brand new fun covert service in the U.S., the Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, with a single purpose. Protecting Find Nazis. and recruit. Oh, <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Find and recruit Nazi scientists seeking to isolate them so they could not fuel Germany, uh, Germany's war vessel, the Soviets, and if desirable to the U.S., Arrange them brand new jobs with brand new names and identities and histories. Over at Kranzberg Castle in Germany, in the, uh, in, over at the Kranzberg Castle Interrogation Center in Germany, clerks had actually been using paper clips to mark files of the prisoners whose backgrounds presented, quote, the most troublesome of cases. These are the now turned over uh, Nazi scientists and so on. It is unsurprising then that this is where the name for the, uh, I guess you could call it faded. I'd say this is the most well-known faded uh, kind of secret project of the sure. U.S. at this time uh, came from Project Paperclip as had been officially been born simply because the ones that they wanted had a paperclip on them. In an attempt to make this somewhat more legit, in 1946, September, President Truman drew up a new order which authorized the issuance of up to 1000 visas for German and Austrian scientists, quote, in the interest of national security. With a big caveat, it specifically forbid cooperation with anyone who had been, quote, a member of the Nazi party and more than a nominal participant in its activities or an active supporter of Nazi militarism, end quote. And because of that, no Nazis ever worked with the American government ever again. The end. <laughs> I can even I could do you one better. Three words. This was ignored. <laughs> I thought you say, yes, we can. <laughs> no. They just ignored the president. And this is another one of those situations where, you know, people say like, well, can't the president just say no? He gets ignored. If that's not what the military industrial complex of the, the intelligence agency wants, the president straight up gets ignored. 
The operation's main goal was to recruit German rocket scientists whose work producing missiles that killed thousands of civilians over in London and European cities during the Second World War would have certainly disqualified them from uh, the official directive. Unfortunately, like I said, all that shit was ignored. And now we could dive into Project Paperclip really, really deeply here because Project Paperclip is a lot of the scientific, a lot of our scientific breakthroughs and arguably the reason we won the space race against Russia is where it all comes from. The testing on vacuum patients and uh, all, all kind of the, the, the effects of a, of, a, of, a, of a vacuum on a body. Sorry, my own, my own words are escaping me here. Um, all that shit comes from Project Paperclip and the, and the work they did thereafter. Uh, that's why we're going to actually step away from Project Paperclip and just know that that's where a bunch of other of our kind of more nefarious scientists and experimentation information came from. Yeah, Jesse, just really, you're about no, to just, say uh, I just want to point out that uh, Werner von Braun, who was the chief architect of Nazi like V1, V2 rockets, uh, is the guy responsible for the Saturn launch vehicle. That got us to the moon. So just, you know, yep. the guy who was developing yep. like missiles for the Nazis is also the same guy that got us to the moon. He also uh, put the first human brain into the immortal body of a mecha gorilla. So, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> lots of stuff on his on his yeah. uh, resume. Yeah. I also also apparently and this is I don't know the truth of this, but it's something for people to look up. Apparently, Operation Paperclip. Uh, didn't officially cease existing until 1990. Oh, uh, like witness protection vibes. Yeah. Like they, they, the, we're going to keep this under wraps. Yep. Until all these guys die until 1990, which just, I just want to point out, I was nine years old at that point. So did they like reveal all of the the guys? I have to, I have to imagine that some point during my childhood, this became a thing that were there were there books and stuff about Operation Paperclip in the like in the nineties? I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I'll, you continue. I'm looking this up. This Did is we not know totally about fine. it until the nineties. That's what I'm no, wondering. I think we. I, I do think we know about it because uh, the book that we read came from it was a little older, and this is where a lot of this information is coming from. Okay, so maybe um, we're just talking about the actual. But maybe they just kept it under wraps, and everybody thought it was done or yeah. something for a long time. Because ultimately, over 100 scientists, engineers, and other technical specialists who had served the Nazi Germany came to the U.S. on paperclip contracts. So we got over 100 of them. And they got new names, new histories, and everything. So we wouldn't even necessarily know who they were. After the war ended, the Chemical Warfare Services was actually renamed to simply Chemical Corps. And the commanders proposed opening the paperclip pipeline to include... So, yeah, Jesse, this is probably why it went to further later on into the 90s, because what ended up happening here is they renamed, like I said, they renamed their warfare services and then they widened the paperclip pipeline to also include physicians, chemists and biologists who could give them the results of experiments that had been conducted at concentration camps. So they were like, basically, they were like, man, this this makes the U.S. such a piece of shit, dude. It just, it's just because you get, you actually get presented this in a lot of other RPGs. The one that comes to mind is Mass Effect 2. You remember that mission with Solace, Mortis, uh, where he comes across the science uh, lab where they were doing like uh, experiments against like illegal stuff. And you have to make a decision of like, do you send the information off to the government or do you destroy it? U.S. decided to keep it on to themselves and then bring more people in. They were actively looking for more people that worked at concentration camps and did experiments on people so that they could bring them into the U.S. and and, uh, give them contracts. The proposal was accepted by Paperclip, and the scientists were given assignments at Camp Detrick. So a lot of the scientists that were recruited went right over to Camp Detrick. Um, These scientists taught the Americans how to create sarin gas, which was developed in Germany and was exceptionally promising for battle use. Sarin gas is actually, uh, you might, I don't know, if you would remember this, Jesse, you would have been 10 it's at this the, time. The subway but, bombing or whatever? Yes, the Tokyo subway bombings by the Aum Shinrikyo clan, uh, sure, by the yeah. Aum Shinrikyo cult, rather, in 1995. That's, a that's whole, what they use. That's a whole crazy story right that's there. That's a whole other topic we could do at any given point. If One day we're going to crack into cults. I would love to do an occult series at some point, Dude, but I'll, I'm not ready to I'll, do it yet. I'll, I'll, go off, I'll go either like every other week with you on cults. I would love cults or I would love it. We could we'll do a, we could do, do a competition cults. to see who can do the most cults without falling <laughs> losing by. their mind. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I would love to. Let's. I'm. I'm down. We should. We should. We should talk about like a cult, a cult month or something. When we do just do cults. Okay. Anyway, but that ends Project Paperclip. 
The last bit that we're going to talk about are a few very quick trials that follow, followed in the late 40s and the effects that happened from those, tri- from those trials and what we ended up gaining from them. Oh. Before we wrap up the first episode, which in my opinion is going to be the shortest of the episodes as we lay a foundation for MK Ultra. We well, are one-fourth of the way through this one. I want to point this out. Um, <laughs> my perception of history is clearly tainted by just the life that I've led and the years yeah. I've been alive. Uh, turns out, like all good news reporters, Operation Paperclip wasn't unveiled in some book or something. The New York Times was one of the first mm. media outlets to expose that it exists in December of 1946. Wow. So we not only do we know about it almost immediately, mm-hmm. but it kept going for decades anyway. I imagine it might have been one of those things like with most newspapers where someone reveals something exists and then half the country is like, no we do that yeah that's fair enough and you think that we were riding a post-war high and kind of think of like u.s can do no wrong yeah kind of thing yeah i bet you there's a lot that plays into that there's, for sure i've never heard of americans just deciding that something wasn't true <laughs> that's not <laughs> that like us in our lifetime that's never. not like us not that's at all also, i mean that's also one of those things that uh you know we also it also could be over the 50s and 60s when america sort of like we're perfect and we do nothing yeah. wrong that, you know, we could have whitewashed that history. Uh, a great example, going back to Japan and the things Japan did to China. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, I, I mean, I no, know it's, none of this. Not, not to cut you off. Just, yeah. but like None of this stuff is taught in history classes anywhere. I mean, now now stuff like this is for sure. When I was growing up, at least. Right. Yeah. Oh, it also depends on where you grow up, too. True. You know, Fair what enough. state. But uh, a great example of just history in general and how things can, you know, over time be sort of removed. And then younger people mm. don't know much about it is Japan. For example, when they invaded China, uh, a very famous moment was the uh, Nanjing or I guess it's also Nanking massacre. Mm. But it's more famously known as the rape of Nanjing or the rape of mm. Nanking. We're literally... Japanese soldiers like murdered it's like 200, an 400,000 people. It's like a modern like, day yeah. atrocity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like raped and murdered all these people. And currently it is one of those things that's like barely mentioned in Japanese history books. And there are many Japanese people who uh, many's wrong. That's not true. There are some. But I think just like everywhere, you know, even people who are like, there's it's no like Holocaust. Holocaust deniers. Yeah. 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 yeah some correct. people said it never yeah. happened. It's that kind yep. of thing where, where and I've always going like totally off topic. But like, I think Alex knows what I'm where I'm going with this. I've always been like, how the hell in the Star Wars universe do people not know what Jedi are 20 years after the Jedi yeah, right. existed? I was and having these conversations like, you know as what? a kid myself. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. You know what? The more you learn about history, the more you're like, holy shit, that might yes. be possible. That yeah, might be a thing true. that like, you know, if people you have an empire sh- that keeps being like, they were bad people. Propaganda. Yeah. It's all takes. It's universal wild. propaganda. It's wild, man. This brings us to the trial of Kurt Blome in 1947. It was under a paperclip contract that this doctor, uh, a Nazi director of research into biological warfare, was actually almost brought into the United States. The Chemical Corps interviewed Blome when he was detained at Kranzberg Castle, where we stationed a bunch of people to do some human experiments. It determined, and it was determined that his information would actually be useful. Oh, I'm yes. so dumb. Oh, sorry. I just had the revelation that, of course, everyone knew about Operation Paperclip. Dr. Strangelove is literally Operation Paperclip. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm so of dumb. Course. It just like totally. I was like, what am I? Th- what am I talking about? Oof. I know of Dr. Strangelove. I've never seen Dr. Yo, Strangelove. You would love that movie. It's a wacky movie. It's, it's a wacky crazy. one. <clears throat> it is a Mathis film. You would love that. And <laughs> well, yeah. There's a lot of I'm, Mathis films What is films a Mathis film? What does that mean? Um, it's just right up your alley. alley. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. That's uh, fine. Have you ever seen Men in Black, Black Mathis? It's great. I have seen Men in Black. It's yes. basically <laughs> the same movie. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Sex, sex, <laughs> man. I'm into it. Let's do it. Let's watch it. I'm excited for a talking dog. Yeah. yeah it should be a good time. He's so wise. <laughs> He's so streetwise. <laughs> so Blom's research actually had his own research complex, which is why he was uh, of interest to the United States, officially known as the Central Cancer Institute. It was surrounded by 10 foot walls and guarded by a detachment from the Nazi SS. So, you know, definitely doing cancer research in yeah, there in his ice fortress. Yeah, <laughs> it contained a climate room, a cold room, incubators, deep freezers and steam chambers, laboratories dedicated to virology, pharmacology, radiology and bacteriology, a tumor farm where malignant viruses were cultivated 
and an isolation hospital for scientists who might be accidentally infected. It is so fucking insane to me that they were like in the 40s. Like, we got this. We we and this is the this is the third one we're learning about just in episode one that happened within about four years of each this other. Is like, All of it, the Detrick Field, the Japanese one, and this one. That's what war does. War, yeah, times of war is when technology leaps fu- forward. The flu, yeah. the Spanish flu, was like not that old. Like, how did they not realize how dangerous? Well, I think they did. I think it's the point is they realized uh, the flu killed more people than the war, and yep. I think and people they were like. <laughs> All right. How do we use that to our way to kill people? I mean, yeah, I, you, yeah, that leave it to the human race to like have something like that happen to be like, yo, viruses are badass, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, yo, let me get awful, one of those dude. viruses. So you might be wondering why then what did I mean? Great. Sure. OK, he had all this stuff. But what is it about Blom that they wanted specifically? Well, Blom had developed aerosol delivery systems for nerve gas to be tested on inmates at the Auschwitz concentration camp. God he also bred infected mosquitoes and lice to be tested on inmates at the Dachau and Buchenwald camps and produce gas for the use in killing of over 35,000 prisoners at camps in Poland where patients with tuberculosis were being held. Blom was tried at the what's known as the doctor's trial at Nuremberg, where he put up a two pronged defense. One. No one could corroborate that he had actually done the things that he had written about, that the things that he had documented and journaled about could be nothing more than fiction without physical evidence. That is. Yeah, exactly. You know, proof American B and two American doctors had experimented on prisoners by infecting them with malaria, making the accusations no more unethical than what Americans were doing anyway. I mean, that's true. He's got us there. We did some terrible shit. Yeah. His testimony, compounded with the Camp Detrick scientist's desire to pick Blome's brain, resulted in the doctor's acquittal on the 27th of August in 1947. After he was found not guilty, scientists from Camp Detrick began to interview him. So literally, the minute he was found not guilty, they shipped They're him like, off to the good? camp. He's good. And He's good. Yeah, Let's they get put him, him over Let's to the camp. Him. Yeah, come, oh, come here. He's hired. Welcome. There's like Have streamers. Yeah, welcome, Dr. Blome. Here's your paycheck. It's time to party. It's, 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 uh, it's so it's, it's frustrating reading this shit. Uh, as the experiments intensified abroad, the scientists at Camp Detrick renewed their interest in adding Kurt Blome to their ranks, no longer content with just interviewing him. The CIA found him practicing medicine in Dortmund, and in 1951, Blome was offered an accelerated paperclip contract should he agree to spill his secrets, and of course, he accepted. Dude However, just got like legit rewarded for like being evil. Yeah. Yeah, if you think, you know, via movies and media that all bad guys get their comeuppance. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how it goes. We might be the bad guys. However, backlash at Dr. Walter Schreiber's arrival in the United States caused problems. Newspaper columnist Drew Pearson published excerpts from Nuremberg testimony that implicated Schreiber in war crimes, specifically the assigning of doctors to carry out experiments on concentration camp inmates, causing a public outcry. Schreiber's American sponsors canceled his paperclip contract and the doctor retired to Argentina, where a fuck ton of other Nazis ended up running to after the war ended. And in my headcanon, Magneto killed them all. And that's how it Every should have been. Every last one. <laughs> yeah, my dad went the deep on end. a book about Hitler being down there. Yeah, yeah. My dad, after of- he read the book, he was like, He's, he was there. <laughs> it's a shame. He was there. <laughs> The scandal erupted as Blome's application was actually under review, and although Colonel Garrison Cloverdale had approved many applications, the sheer extent of Blome's crimes disqualified him from the entry to the U.S. and recommended the visa be denied. The CIA was fucking furious and appealed with an angry memo in return. The appeal was denied on the grounds that admitting that admitting Blome to the U.S. would bring unwanted attention not only Blome, but the other former Nazis who had already been quietly brought to work in American military bases and research laboratories. You let our war criminal into the country, damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can all literally they were going to be fine with him until somebody else. They just like a spotlight got put on. I'm like, what? What? No, we're not. Go away. No, Blom. Blom's not coming over. Don't worry about him? it. It's fine. Not him. Yeah. No, not this guy. See you, Blom. It's good to talk. <laughs> like, that's it. But the CIA was determined to use Blom one way or another and therefore sent him to Camp King, another CIA black site, as the position at, at the position of staffed doctor, recently occupied by Schreiber, now open. 
Egipto, he took the place of the person who got kicked out because of his past and his war crimes. And in 1946, nice. and, and what? Nice. Cushy, oh, yeah, cushy little position. Uh, just so you know, CIA was created in 1947. So this was shortly after the CIA was created. Blom was being trying to bring brought So in. right out the gate, CIA was like, we're the worst. <laughs> yes. Yes, they were. Fuck them. In 1945, Truman dissolved the official, uh, the Office of Strategic Services, which kind of started this whole thing. And two years later, they more or less reformed the CIA. So the CIA was the OSS and the OSS was the CIA. It's just more like a peacetime version. Yeah, just like they renamed the Chemical Warfare Division to Chemcorp or Chemcorporation or whatever. It's more fun. Like they just rolls off the tongue. It's way more fun, way more easy to swallow. Swallow the pill public. We're not doing anything terrible. Don't worry. The CIA's first covert operations were in Europe during the Cold War, where its officers hired Corsican gangsters to break. Did I say that right? Corsican? (laughs) Yeah, Corsican. Corsican's right. Yeah. Yeah. Corsican gangsters to break a communist led strike at the port of Marcel. It ran a campaign to prevent communists from winning a national election in Italy, which succeeded. In 1945, the next trial that would help form MKUltra started the Minzenti trial. It was the trial of the Roman Catholic uh, prelate of Hungary, Cardinal Josef Minzenti, that propelled the CIA into the research that led to Project MKUltra. Minzenti appeared at a show trial and confessed to an extravagant charges of attempting to overthrow the government, directing black market currency schemes and seeking to steal the royal crown as part of a plot to reestablish the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Literally another like supervillain. Yes. Little finger, (laughs) like like just a crazy villain. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. While leaders of the Western world were outraged at the display, the CIA were more concerned with the way Minzenti had behaved during the trial. He appeared disoriented, spoke in a flat monotone, and confessed to crimes he had evidently not committed. Clearly, he had been coerced. To the CIA, it was obvious that the Soviets had developed drugs or mind control techniques that could make people say things they did not believe. And in the spring of 1949, despite falling, uh, despite the falling favor of the chemical corps, Camp Detrick created a secret team known only as the Special Operations Division to research into ways that chemicals could be used as weapons of covert warfare. And in 1950, where we'll be picking up next week, the first MK project was created, known as MK Naomi, rumored to be named for the secretary of its creator. Acid and man. that's what we'll pick up next week. <laughs> I can't believe it. they're like, Naomi, I want to let you know, dear. We created <laughs> MK Naomi. And MK Naomi is the name of the next Kojima game. <laughs> MK Naomi. Like, what? The, are you fucking Naomi. kidding me? MK Naomi? Not at all. How is MK that not from an anime? Naomi. I don't, it, dude, sometimes, you know, truth is stranger than fiction, brother. That's fucking insane. Ridiculous. I'm so glad I actually got to introduce Jesse as a, a history nerd to Unit 731. I, I thought that honestly, might be something you knew about. I'm just, didn't I know wish about I it. never knew about it. <laughs> yeah, now you wish depressing. you never knew, but uh, forever ruined. Forever <laughs> ruined. Wow. And that's yeah. it for the beginnings of MK Ultra, everybody. We'll be coming back next week with some so, more. So, hey, everyone, COVID vaccine coming soon. <laughs> Get After ready. we tell you all the terrible things the government does, we're like, <laughs> so yeah, you all want this vaccine though, right? <laughs> yeah, and if you head to no, but for real, Patreon, get the vaccine. Please get the vaccine. Yes, for get real. Get the vaccine. God. Get the vaccine. Patreon.com slash Pod does not have the vaccine, but you can subscribe and support us there. And if you do, you get 15 more minutes of the show right after this. And I swear to God, I'm going to read a listener story. And it's a weird one. I've got aliens in the docket for my mini sub topic. Like, so. A person leaves their soul and then like sees themselves 3d printed I that's my favorite shit i haven't I read love it that stuff. mathis says it's good he got it from his instagram as a dm so <laughs> take it with a grain of salt folks i'm ready i'm ready for this Patreon.com slash pod. thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back next week with mk ultra part two we love you very much you can find us over on twitter at chiluminati pod for the podcast wherever you're listening please please drop us a review it helps in a huge amount we're trying to cross over to that 1500 mark uh, just because it's a nice round number and it does my brain nice tickle in chemicals. Help satisfy brain, my man. compulsions. Yeah, yep, exactly. Tickle his brain. Tickle my brain tickle with that 1500, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Smooth. <laughs> anyway.
and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. 